You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Easter is is always an amazing time, right? Easter is always a, a weekend filled with celebration, filled with family traditions. And so for some of you, your family tradition has been doing this. It's been gathering on Sunday, maybe including a Good Friday service as well. For others, especially if you have kids, your Easter traditions may include an Easter egg hunt or an Easter basket that you give to your children. And I'm telling you, parents, you're doing it wrong if it doesn't include Cadbury eggs. (laughs) And enough that you can like siphon a few off for yourself later during rest time. You've got to have the Cadbury eggs. One of the traditions at the Faust house, at least something that Natalie and I have have taken upon ourselves and we force our children to do, is that we make them dress alike on Easter. (laughs) I am a sucker for my two youngest cute girls wearing the same dress, and so this is what we do. Kingston kind of plays along. I've got a a couple pictures from previous years. that is the Faust, those are the Faust children and all of their personalities, I'm telling you. Uh, there's another one of the next year. This was, this was last year. So precious, that's exactly the response that I wanted. <clears throat> but like most traditions, right, they, traditions do get, they do get passed down from one generation to the next. And actually, this was a tradition that I grew up with. You dress alike as children. And I never really... F- felt like I I belonged in the church. I grew up really far from the Lord. It wasn't later into life that I committed my life to Jesus. And so I always felt a little out of place when I went to church, but my parents decided if we go, we're going to dress you alike. And we're going to make sure that you look like you belong. I have this one from the late 1980s. It's me and my big brother. I got my arm around him. I don't tie my shoes like we're... Obviously, you know, you can tell from that picture, I grew up in a blended family. My, my brother had a different dad than I did. He was Mexican-American, so he had darker features, and I was blonde hair, light eyes, but man, that didn't matter. Everywhere we went, we just loved each other. We loved spending time together, and uh, man, that's a really, really special picture. A lot of traditions, a lot of celebrations like that around the Easter time. Of course, in the church, we talk about the resurrection. This is what we do. And as part of talking about the resurrection and celebrating the risen Lord, today we're continuing the series that we've been in the last few weeks, a series titled, You've Heard It Said. You've Heard It Said. Jesus used this phrase over and over and over again when he taught the people about what it's like to truly follow God. He would look at the world. He was a student of his culture, the religious systems and the cultural ideas. And he said, this is what I've noticed. And you've heard it said. And then he would always counter it by saying, but I say to you, you've heard it said, live this way or live that way. Treat each other at this kind of level. But I say to you, I'm raising the bar. There's a new covenant. And this is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Of course, this begs the question, right? If Jesus were to show up in 21st century America and we were to walk around our offices or our churches or our schools, what would he hear? And how would he respond? Since we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I think it's only appropriate to 
look at the growing phrase or sentiment that is in our culture, the saying, Christianity is dead. Christianity is dead. You've heard it said Christianity is dead or Jesus is irrelevant. Christians are even worse. The church is only dying. Christianity is dead. There's a good chance you've heard this before. You've been around this kind of thinking or maybe you've even thought a phrase like that yourself. For some, this could be the current view that you hold towards Christianity and you're not even sure why you're here on Easter. My guess is you got forced to come here with whoever's sitting next to you. And, and they may have even promised a free high-end brunch after church. The price to pay is you have to listen to me for about 25 minutes, right? This is, I know this so well because that, that picture of my brother and I, like that was our gig. Like they promised us the Easter baskets only if we dressed alike and went to church. So I know your pain, and we are incredibly glad that you are here. But if you look at just the landscape of American culture and Christian culture in our nation, right, it doesn't take you very long to realize this is a growing phrase. Many have have walked away from the faith. Others have been hurt by the church, and so they've just kind of moved on. Others maybe try Christianity for a while, but then they don't seem to notice any life change, and so they begin to wonder Is Jesus just a dead guy in a tomb, or does his resurrection life impact me at all? Is there any transformation in this thing called Christianity? Many of us have wondered if he came back to life at all, or if he's just a dead guy in a tomb. They pulled him down from that old rugged cross, and that's where he's been ever since. And if that has been your experience of Christianity, that there's not much life change or that the church has hurt you or you're not sure if Jesus even came back to life, then I would hardly blame that that is a phrase that you use. I would say this on Easter Sunday. It might not be one that's shared every church across America, but if that's your experience of Christianity, I don't even blame you. I don't even blame you. The Bible would agree with you, actually. Your faith, the Bible would say, and all of ours actually, would, would be, might as, it'd be better off buried in the tomb if that's just where Jesus is, right? Because a dead Jesus doesn't change anything for anyone. If Jesus was simply a religious man with really good ideals and a really high spiritual bar, but he stayed dead and he stayed in the tomb, then the Bible would say that Christianity is pointless. Let's say our faith is useless. Look at how at least one author of the Bible wrote it, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If he hasn't been raised, this is why I love the Bible so much because it's just so direct. It's so honest and authentic. Look, if Jesus is still in a grave, then what are we doing? But if he's alive, If the stone was rolled away and breath came back into his lungs and he was raised from the dead, then the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. If the tomb was empty and he rose from the grave, then everything that we do in here when we gather and everything you do in your personal life is of utmost importance. Because the man who claimed he would die on a cross, be buried in a tomb and come back to life, it actually happened. And if that's true, then everything changes. Christianity is only dead if Jesus is dead. 
But of course, the same author who made this claim that our preaching and our gathering is pointless without a resurrected Jesus also made this radical claim that he is in fact alive and there are multitudes of people that you can go and talk to and you can interrogate them and you can ask them for yourself and you can discover for yourself whether or not the tomb was empty. Same author different verse. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. I saw him. See, the tomb was empty. They never found his bones. They never dug up a dead body. And then after that, the resurrected Jesus started showing up to people. First to Peter, then the 12, then 500 of his followers, men and women alike, to James, and then the author of this passage, Paul. We have eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus. And at the time of this writing, most of those people were still alive. So you could go to them, and you could interrogate them, and you could decide for yourself. So your faith is is only useless and only irrelevant if they found the body or they found the bones of Christ inside the tomb. And scripture says that if that's the truth, you might as well skip Christianity because our faith is only in a dead guy who couldn't even keep his own word to come back to life. But if he's alive, again, if he's alive, it changes everything. Jesus would say it like this, you've heard it said, Christianity is dead, but I say to you, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death could not hold him. He came up out of the grave. And of course, this is the beginning of the good news. That Christ died in our place, that he came back to life. This is the beginning of the good news, but it doesn't stop there. It gets even better. Jesus would continue. You've heard Christianity is dead, but I say to you, I am alive. And the same life that raised me from the dead is offered to you. The Bible teaches that when you put your faith in Christ, when you choose to live for him, you are promised not only life after death, but you're also promised that same resurrection power, that same resurrection life inside of you today, the life and the power of Christ. It does protect you for eternity, but it's also here for you now. Romans 8, 11 says this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. The same spirit, the same power, the same life that raised Christ from the dead somehow fits inside of, somehow dwells within the believer. It's a miracle. Every time someone gives their life to Christ, it's a miracle that they don't just blow up. All of the power of God fit into one little humanoid. 
instantaneous com combustion, like this should be the natural event of someone becoming a follower in Christ, but somehow the miracle of salvation also includes the indwelling of God's life-giving spirit. If Jesus is alive, then so are you. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead gives you life today. This is good news for eternity, like I said, but it's also good news for right here, right now. Because it means you don't have to walk through life alone. It doesn't mean you have to stumble up against darkness and try to overpower it by yourself. You're no longer on your own. Darkness has no claim on your life. And whether you are in a time of great triumph or a time of incredible trouble, God's spirit is within you. It begs the question, where do you need the life of Christ today? Where do you need the life of Christ today? The tomb was empty, which means that he is alive. And because the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you, it means you are alive too. Where do you need his life? For me, it changes. It changes day to day, week to week, year to year. There are times I've cried out and I've needed his resurrection life for my family. When my parents got divorced, I cried out for his life. When, my, uh, when one of my children were, was diagnosed with an incredibly rare disease, one, only 20,000 people in the United States have the disease that he was born with. In that moment, we had to cry out for life. I've needed his life in loneliness. I've needed his life on my own journey to recovery. I've needed his life in incredible moments of pain or even the mundane as well as the mountaintops. All of these moments, we can cry out for his life. And he is faithful time and time again to show you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So where are you at this morning? Because the resurrection changes everything. And he is ready and he is willing to move in your heart and move in your life with that same resurrection power. If he is alive, you can be too. But again, this is only one step in the whole gospel narrative because it continues to go. There's even another step after this. The story of the resurrection includes even more things than that because if he is alive, so are you. And if you are alive, then so are we. That we are alive too. We are alive just the same. Our local church and our expression of the faith is alive and well. In this very moment, in this exact time and space, if Jesus is alive, so are you. If you are, so are we. See, something happens when we gather together. Something happens when we gather together that can't happen alone. It's different when we sing over one another. It's different when we take communion together or you receive prayer together or you hear the word of God together. Alone is good. Scripture talks about how important alone is, but it also talks about how some way when we unite our hearts that we are alive together, that we're part of a historic mission and a global church that invites us to participate in God's redemptive plan, much like, much like the video that we watched earlier. As we gather in worship here, our brothers and sisters are gathering in worship there. And we're part of this global 
church. But of course, it doesn't even stop there because if we are alive, then we're invited to participate in what God has for us. Because he is alive, you can be alive. Because you are alive, we are alive. If we are alive, then we have a job to do. Then we have a job to do. God has enlisted us in his mission of transforming all things. One of my favorite resurrection stories comes from Matthew 28, when Mary and Mary are both going to the tomb. Two different women, same name. They rushed to the tomb, but of course, it was empty. The stone was rolled away, and inside the tomb, they saw an angel, and the angel told Mary, Jesus isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just like he said he would. So therefore, go and tell the disciples all that you have seen. The Bible says Mary was scared but filled with joy as she rushed off from the tomb to go tell the disciples. And on her way, she had a personal encounter with the resurrection, with the resurrected Jesus. And he reiterated and confirmed the same words that the angel had just told her. Go and tell the disciples that I am alive. Matthew 28, verse 10, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. The mission for us is to go and tell. It's to go and tell. First the angel said it, then Jesus confirmed it. Go and tell them. Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell everyone. Don't keep this good news to yourself. Don't keep the resurrection to yourself. It's too good of news. Because it changes everything. It's too good of news to just keep it to yourself. Go and tell the others. If Jesus is alive, then so are you. So are we, which means we have a job to do. I recently watched a powerful movie about a heroic woman. The movie was simply called Harriet. If you've never seen it, you need to watch it. It's a biopic on Harriet Tubman, and it tells the story of her personal encounters with slavery, but also how she was a famous conductor on the Underground Railroad. The movie starts with Harriet's own journey, and as you can imagine, you are a witness to incredible pain and suffering that she went through, which of course led her to embrace the unbearable decision of actually leaving her family behind to go take hold of her personal freedom. There's a point when she's escaping, she's running from her slave owners, she's standing on a bridge. And the slave owners are, are coming at her from both sides, pressing in upon her. You're not exactly sure what's going to happen in that moment. And she looks over the bridge and below her there's a raging river. And you can sense kind of what she's thinking. I'll jump off the bridge into the river. I'll, I'll allow the raging waters and currents to take me as many miles away from here as possible. But it's a long jump. And I'm not guaranteed to make it. The slave owners are pressing in again on her on both sides. And they demand her obedience, but with a hunger and a boldness in her eye that you know could not be quenched. She looked at them and she said, I'll be dead or I'll be free. And then she jumps into the river. See, she had tasted the life of a slave. 
She had tasted the life of oppression. The weight of darkness surrounded her, and she knew that if she went back, she was dead either way. She knew there was no life for her back at the farm. There was no life for her back there. She was either going to physically die or her soul was going to die. And so she might as well jump for her freedom. The currents took her as far away as they could, and then she continued marching towards her freedom. And then at last, she crossed the line into Philadelphia, a free woman. And she experienced a world that she had never known. When you think about our lives and the gospel, and you think about this movie about Harriet Tubman, you realize pretty quickly her life and our life are quite similar. Before Christ, we are bound to sin. Sin is our master. The enemy presses in on you from all different sides, and we are circled by a pervasive darkness. And we know there's nothing for us in the old life. There's nothing back there except death and decay and darkness and oppression. The only thing that we can do is make a decision to jump. Jump into the love of Christ. We have to look to him. We have to trust the rivers of his love. And with a faith for his life and his ways and his love, greater than what we've always known, we all have a decision to eventually make, a decision to jump for freedom or go back to that old life. But what I love about this movie is that the resurrection story is so much more than just the initial freedom Harriet experienced when she jumped into the river. It's so much more than even our own initial freedom that we experience when we first give our lives to Christ. Because what Harriet did was almost unthinkable. She gained her freedom and then she kept going back time and time again. She kept crossing the border over and over and over again. She went back time and time again because she knew there were so many people who needed to taste the freedom that she had experienced. All that they needed was a guide to lead the way. Towards the end of the movie, Harriet got invited into a senator's house in upstate New York. And this opulent house was filled with all kinds of influential people, and they were talking about their fancy lives. They were wearing their fancy dresses, drinking their fancy drinks, and they were discussing whether or not they should continue the work of the Underground Railroad because the journey was getting harder. It was getting way more dangerous. New laws were being written that became uh, just incredibly difficult for them to rescue folks into freedom. And then Harriet, hearing all of this, decided it was time to take center stage. She stood in front of all the influential leaders. She stood in front of all the leaders in that beautiful home, and she refused to quit. She said, I will never stop. I will never stop. I'll never stop going back. I'll never stop just because the road is long. I'll never stop just because it's dangerous. I'll never stop, she said, because I remember what it's like to be a slave. I remember what it's like to be bound by darkness and oppressed on all sides. And because of that, it doesn't matter how dangerous it is. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. I will always keep going back for even one more and one more and one more. Because of that, I will never stop. Everyone listen listening was moved with compassion and even a sense of fearlessness because, you see, they, they had all been born into freedom or it had been so long since they had experienced oppression that they had forgotten what it's like in that old life. And she wasn't blaming them. She was only saying, 
look, the more you can remember what it's like in the previous life, the more you're going to be compelled to rescue more and more people. Her story moved me for obvious historical reasons, but it moved me because this is our calling. This is our story in the gospel. If Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. You're free from the shackles of sin and shame. You're free from your past and all the mistakes you've made. You're freed from the darkness that used to surround you. But we can never let our freedom in Christ to make us comfortable. We can never let our freedom in Christ to keep us to remember the plight of so many who are still stuck in their old lives. This is our calling to not forget what it's like to be bound, to not forget what it's like before the resurrection, to not forget about all of our friends and family and close loved ones who are still living in dark, old, even oppressive ways. Like the disciples, like Harriet, we're to be about going back. We're to be about going and telling the others about the resurrection. To go back again. Like Harriet, to take the road again. To take the journey into someone's life again. I know it's messy when you put your life in someone else's life, but someone did that for you. To show you the way. To be your guide. To put light before your feet so you knew what steps to take. Going back and rescuing even one more from the grips of death is always worth the, de- the effort because Jesus Christ died and rose so that all might be saved. So that all might be saved. Go and tell. This is our calling. I'll close with this. If you're here this morning, if you're here in person or if you're tuning in on line and you have yet to taste the freedom of Christ, then why not here and why not now? Why not Easter 2022? And I realize that maybe no one's ever told you that a decision for Christ is needed, that you you actually come to a point where you're on a bridge of life and you have to decide, am I going back to the old life or am I going to take a leap of faith into God's love? And that decision could be yours today. Because the tomb is empty, Scripture says that you will experience total forgiveness when you give your life to Christ, that you will be filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The Bible says that you'll be adopted into his family, empowered to join him in the mission of transforming all things. You'll be given a new life, you'll be given a new purpose, a new family, and a new sense of belonging. Today could be your day of complete freedom. And if you have tasted the resurrection, if you have experienced even the slightest bit of freedom, then worship the one who died to make all things right. Worship the one who came up out of the grave so that you could be given that same resurrection life. And then take these words seriously. That because he's alive, so are you. Because you are alive, so are we. But because we are alive, we have a job to do, to go and tell 
about this good news of the resurrected Lord. Go and tell everyone. Go and tell anyone. Because the resurrection changes everything. Let's pray.